What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin Thank you so much for joining us, Tim Ferriss. It's uh, it's really a pleasure to have My you pleasure. on the ledger. And you know, we uh, we were introduced uh, through Kevin Rose as as you were starting your NFT project. And you know, I I thought maybe we'd get to chat before you launched the epic cock punch. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, you were obviously both busy launching and 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 doing some traveling. So I thought, okay, well, let's catch up after then. That might even be more interesting. Like, yeah. So I totally. guess you know, the first first question: um, how how the hell is it? How is time in web three and is it you know energy draining or energy gaining it is energy gaining for me at this point and it has been for a while now and i think that's in part because i set the rules up and the parameters and the constraints in such a way that i would avoid to the extent possible some of the pitfalls some of the areas where you might get stuck in the mud or the sand there have been points certainly that have been challenging and web three specifically within web three nft land can be a full contact sport so i think you just need to be prepared for that fortunately having launched quite a few things in the last let's just call it 15 years i've developed some thickening of the skin <laughs> so i can handle that and i also expect it on some level I expect anything that I do, if I've actually stepped out of my comfort zone and tried to do something original, to probably divide the audience on one or more levels. So since I expect it, I think it has less potential to damage or, or stymie me. But there have definitely been a few points, especially immediately following the reveal. So the mint was on a Wednesday, the reveal was on a Friday. <laughs> and uh, there, there, there was definitely a point where I was subjected, not for the first time, because I know a lot of people in finance, but in this capacity involving art, narrative, and other things, to be subjected to some of the day trader psychology uh, of let's just call it maybe the mob of say certain people who are flipping which i think serves a role in the ecosystem but i'd never had to contend with the yelling and screaming <laughs> associated with it i was pretty surprised because so, i thought you were pretty clear that this wasn't for the flippers um and uh, you know, from my perspective I, I was surprised because you know from from my perspective um well maybe we should back up just a bit for the audience they might i i've got the context yep. but let, let's let's assume the audience has less context what is it that you have done in the in the world of web3 over the past month yeah in the past month i mean it seems like kind of dog years right it seems like a full tour of duty at this point uh, but in the last month i launched a project that i've been working on for the last 6 to 12 months at least 6 probably closer to 12 which is an emergent long fiction project, which requires a little bit of explanation, but it's not a profile pick project. Uh, I don't view it that way. It's really an attempt to develop and exercise new creative muscles for me as an adult that I used a lot in 
my adolescence. So the D&D muscles, the fantasy muscles, the fiction writing muscles, and also the art muscles. So I, I was an illustrator for a long time. I, I paid part of my way through college with that and wanted to be a comic book penciler for probably between 10 and 15 years and took it really seriously. So I wanted to get back into engaging with both of those spheres and trying to combine them. And since I've been talking with Kevin Rose about Web3 and NFTs for a very long time now, at least in NFT timeline, I thought that combining all of those elements would be an interesting way to hold myself accountable and force myself to ship, force myself to publish. And it worked. And I wanted to also make it as, on some levels, as absurd and surreal and funny as possible. And that's not just because it amused me, although that is part of the energy gaining. That was, that was definitely a parameter that I set up front, like joy and fun. If I start to take it too seriously or myself too seriously, we've taken a detour in the wrong direction. And maybe that's a design flaw and I need to revisit some design parameters or it could be something else. Separately, it's a way to immunize myself somewhat <clears throat> against being too precious uh, and not taking risks, right? As soon as you start to become overly protective of something to take it very seriously. And at that point you, I think get very tentative with taking risks and I wanted to feel free. That was kind of the whole point to take big creative risks. So by calling something cock punch, and there are reasons for that name, <laughs> These are sort of anthropomorphized roosters who fight and there are different greater houses and so on. Uh, you check a lot of boxes at the same time. And so that then minted early December 2022. And at this point, we're about a month out as we record this. <laughs> So what's that, what's that journey been like? I, actually, I want to ask you more about the, about the art. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the, uh, the, the, the floor price. That's a, uh, you know, well, let, let's talk about that in a year. The, um, I, I'm, yep. I'm curious for you, for Can you I personally. Can I just actually punctuate something for you? Please. And that is, I think what you just said is important. And that is like, let's look at it in a year. The, the time I, horizons for most people engaged with this space are so short. They're like the attention span of an insect. And that does not compound into good long-term outcomes or projects, in my opinion. So I just want to underscore what you said, which is things move up and down. That's true with so many things in life. There are cycles. There's also a kind of boom and bust hype and FUD cycles. All of these things apply to so many different classes of not just assets, but the human experience. To look at something day in and day out, unless that is your job and you feel like you have a competitive advantage to be a day trader who operates in those timeframes is just sort of psychological suicide as far as I'm concerned. So didn't imagine, mean to interrupt, imagine what it would have been like important. to imagine what it would have been like to evaluate, um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or the Hitchhiker's Guide to the da Galaxy after 30 days. You know, um, we have no idea yeah. you know, what, yeah, or what, the what alchemist, the I mean, the alchemist was turned yeah. down by a bunch of publishers initially had something like 500 copies and Paulo Coelho was trying to sell them out, you know, effectively out of the, the, the trunk of his car and only much later did it find its stride. That's also true for many book examples I can think of that took a reasonable period of time to find their stride, including my first book didn't happen overnight. Yeah. And I think 
you know, first of all, you, you don't need to um, defend either the, the name or the concept with me. My, I always, I, for years, I've described my aesthetic as a large amount of talent spent on something asinine. And, you know, the fastest way sort of <laughs> to my heart is to not take yourself too seriously. So um, you've checked the boxes. So th th thank you for that. But I'm curious for, for you personally, <laughs> yeah, sure. um, you know, you're a writer, um, but you're a nonfiction writer. Uh, you know, and you have the opportunity here to, yep. uh, to create fiction, uh, you know, also, you know, you're known, you're known for, for many things, but not known as an illustrator and, and, you know, how much of, of this for you mm -hmm. was, um, you know, I, I really want to understand firsthand this, you know, web three and NFT world, which I, which I'm sure was, was a big part of it, mm -hmm. but also how much of it was just artists are lucky. They get to do art all day and, <clears throat> like you said, you wanted yeah. to sort of force yourself to be able to do that on a personal level. What, what's the what's the mix there? Yeah, I'll, I'll, the the mix isn't, I would say, much of a mix because I felt like I had a basic understanding of Web three and some of the underlying technologies to the extent that a non engineer would be able to understand some of the some of the mechanics and just the the flow of say product design within that type of space and the different frameworks and approaches that, that one might see, not just in NFT projects, but in DeFi and elsewhere. And that's why I had in part spent so much time on the sidelines, albeit I think in the front row as a spectator, right? I, I, I wanted to observe as much as possible, but that only takes you so far. Then you, and I was engaged. I mean, I was buying things. I was not so much selling. I haven't sold so much because that's of less interest to me, but uh, I have engaged as a purchaser and as a spectator, as an investor, but not as a creator. What interested me was the ability to use Web3 to try to align incentives or create collective incentives. Not just that, but if I could create a collective incentive and maybe later experiment with things like token-gated commerce or access, which is something that is a non-trivial problem in publishing. You don't know who has bought your book. How do you communicate with the readers of your book? If you want to say, give some type of reward or thank you to the readers of your book, how do you do that? If you have that overlaid on top of blockchain, and let's just say each book is a unique NFT, suddenly things become possible that weren't possible before. So I, I knew I wanted to play in that sandbox. For me, the drivers were, how do I shake off the cobwebs and really develop muscles that have atrophied and start to take creative risks that fuel me uh, and along the way, hopefully learn a lot. So I would say in starting this, what I wanted to learn is how do you manage a large scale art project? How do you do art review? How do you develop, say, concept art and, and run through character development? What does that look like once you go from 2D to 3D, which we haven't really unveiled yet, but everything was done in 3D within Blender and we used other tools as well but predominantly Blender. So what do I need to understand about Blender if I want to, say, interact with a 3D artist and uh, other coders effectively? Uh, so that has been tremendously fun. And then as I think of different things I can do or want to do, potentially, with this realm that has been created and these characters and these different clans, that has led me down. And this is 
this is very intentional, down all of these rabbit holes related to, and I'm not saying I'm going to do any of these things. I will probably not do the vast majority. Maybe I don't do any of them. But game design, animation, series, how do you take a static 3D character, let's just say, effectively a digital figurine, and convert that into something that is posable? These are all super interesting questions, and they're not limited. In fact, they're not really Web3 native at all. Uh, they can be applied, uh, but I think there is a tendency, and this goes for any given category you might find. Let's just say the label is Web2 or the label is Web3. There's a tendency, I think, for some, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, but to try to use only tools that are native to a, a particular playing field, uh, technologically speaking, that could be Web3. I think that's leaving a lot on the table. And so I am most interested in how do I harness not just Web2, but like much older technologies like imagination and storylines and narrative generated in the human mind. I know it's out of fashion maybe, but I come from the book world and I know how much of an impact fiction has had on my life. I am an avid, avid reader of fiction and played D&D forever when I was a kid. So how can you borrow from these maybe antiquated, not so sexy modes of interacting and generating worlds and world building and hopefully pour rocket fuel on that with the surgical use of new technology. That's, that's how I've been thinking about it. I, I think it's, let, let me tell you, my point of view is this for sure happens, right? And so that makes you a, you know, a pioneer in, in doing that. And what I mean this by this is that, you know, fiction, um, gameplay, role play, uh, D and D type of play certainly comes, um, to the space. I think, you know, generally gaming will be one of the, one of the biggest areas here. It's one of the most, um, exciting, but also unexplored. And the way I think about it is I remember the first time I played Zork in the, you know, in, in the eighties and, um, you know, and, and then I look at video games today and I go, well, there we go. That's what 30 years is going to bring us, right? The difference between Zork and, and a video game of today. So, um, you're, you're creating a Zork. Um, thank you. Uh, it, it will have its, it will have its place in the, in the, in the canon of history. Um, and you know, but also boy I think can dream. Imagination, boy can dream. I like the idea. Imagination. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm reading this book. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it's called speculative communities. He references a book from the eighties called imagined communities. And it's amazing to me how relevant it is around the world of, of web three. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that, um, you know, truth is fiction. Um, and you know, we, we are, we're, we're sort of living in these imagined communities, right? If, I mean, if you're, if you're a moonbird holder and you live in the world of moonbirds, you're living in an imagined community. It's that simple. Um, and, and so tell us about the world that, that you've created and, and what you've done to go with it, because there's the art and the, and there, and there are, um, you know, there are all of the characters, but the characters, I think one interesting thing is that the characters, you didn't know what the characters were when you started out, you know, because the characters are, are generated right from, uh, from work that you've made. And then you've also made a podcast, um, you know, or, or, uh, a lore to go with it. So I, how are you using these different, um, artistic elements to, to bring it to life and what comes next? So I'll answer the last part first. The, what comes next is part of the, emergent uh, E in the ELF, which is also kind of cutesy, but fun for me because I love elves and was always a gray elf 
<laughs> when I played D and D, and I started with you know first edition. I had some some really some really early hardcovers and modules and so on. And I'm sorry if my mom is listening level. to this, but I uh, I kept my weed in the D and D box in the closet in high school. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I have I have a, a D and D history as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, she it probably takes knew. a village, all different strokes for different folks. So uh, the the emergent component leads me to not know what is coming next, although I've set certain conditions and they're, they're various from my perspective. And of course, I know more than people who are engaging which the, with this realm that is not just being created by me, but sort of emerging from different inputs. The what's next is a question mark. And part of the what's next is me exploring all of these different possibilities in a very unconstrained way, because I have not laid out a roadmap. And I, from my perspective, and you know, one could say this is just a rationalization, but it's not because I, from, my, from my perspective from the beginning, the intention was to preserve optionality and to also preserve surprise. So surprise, not just for the audience, but for me, is part of the payoff. It's a huge part of the payoff. And therefore, I haven't specced out any type of trajectory, and that's very deliberate. I would say all of the potential paths that I have on the map, <laughs> uh, literally and figuratively, because I draw a lot of this out uh, in terms of directions that things could go, are very exciting and generative, meaning uh, they open up even more avenues. Like each door I open enables the game to continue, from my perspective, in an interesting way. But that's that's all kind of... Um, abstract or it could sound abstract to me it's very concrete but let's let's come back to the first part so the writing came first and imagining the world came first then came deciding on the predominant houses or clans then came thinking about with and starting with one of them in this case one called house hallux writing out a history that was blue sky Right, so coming up with a history of the clan, and I, I recognize some people uh, might say, well, what kind of fiction is it if we don't have a main character to follow? This is not accidental. So it's not accidental that I've omitted a first-person narrative or even a third-person narrative at this point. That's not accidental. In part, I'll give you a sort of a, a, a flash of the cards, which is just to say I want people to be able to put themselves in the position of player one. So right now we're dealing with concretizing the histories of these clans because the histories then, once I had one down, I could begin to look at interdependencies, right? So interdependencies, old enmities, alliances, whether they're close and smooth or somewhat by necessity and forced and strained, et cetera. And once I had begun to piece those things together, I could then think about what these characters would look like. And that came reasonably quickly to me. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you some of the thinking behind that. Some of the thinking behind that is I wanted to see in real life, well, in real life, that includes digital. But once this was released to the wild, how much people would begin to galvanize around their particular greater house or their, let's say clan for simplicity, their, their clan. How much would people begin to coalesce around their clan and take it seriously, maybe begin to explore the potential background or lore of their own characters, and so on. 
And I, I, yeah, I am in the business of, of running experiments and there is no failed experiment. I mean, it's, it's for me a means of, of testing and lobbing things out into the universe. So let's just say creating Twitter accounts for each of the clans. It turns out that that may not be the smoothest way to engage people. Although I did not want to have any official discord for a host of reasons that I can explain, uh, also not accidental and not just because I don't want to manage discord though. That's true. I wanted to see what would happen outside of a centralized gathering place, if that makes sense. And, uh, then the podcast was a means of sharing that lore, which has not yet been shared in text, and that's deliberate because, and this might sound mm, anachronistic perhaps, but we are storytelling, we are a storytelling and a meaning-making species, and writing is a relatively new invention. So for a very long time, and still in many cultures, it is oral transmission. And I wanted people to have to, if they want to take the world seriously, listen to each of these histories more than once. If they wanted to try to pick out the Easter eggs and connect dots, which believe me, there are many Easter eggs <laughs> and a lot of things that I've thought through that have yet to be revealed, they have to pay attention and listen twice. And that's, that's a big ask of the audience. But my feeling is I'm accustomed to that. And I've done that before. I write 500 to 700 page books. Let's not forget when I was told that the book would have to be under 200 pages and I've violated that over and over again. So I'm always looking for kind of dogma in whichever area that I can violate as a test. Uh, and the podcast also was taking the uncertain and the new, which is this NFT project and the artwork and fiction and combining it something which is the known and uh, a strength of mine. I understand podcasts reasonably well. I mean, I've <laughs> done hundreds and hundreds of recordings and many of things have come of that. So I wanted to attempt to use that not just as a promotional channel, but an extra creative outlet for myself in working with voice actors learning how to produce and actually go through an inflection, changing things from uh, the written word to something that flows in spoken word, especially when I am an American and the voice actors I'm working with mostly are British. So uh, those are a few of the reasons for why it has uh, been presented and at least been presented publicly in the way that people have seen. Uh, and, uh, it's gone really well. I mean, so far, I mean, the mitt went well, you know, kind of sold out more or less immediately. And then there was a bunch of, uh, <laughs> funny, funny stuff, uh, and just kind of yelling and screaming that goes after every, um, seemingly comes after like every remotely successful project, uh, <laughs> a lot of that. And then that died down. And it seems with, you know, every secondary transaction, things are getting, the community is getting closer to the community that I would like to have. Yeah, over that's time. what happens, right? Uh, and yeah, yeah. and people so who don't I'm very happy part, with it. Sell out, and yeah, and, yeah. and, and the right people come yeah. in. And it's another another constraint that I wanted to apply. And part of the reason for doing this project that I have not mentioned, but you just reminded me, was one of the primary drivers. Is I had been looking for unconventional ways of raising funds for my foundation, which is a you know registered nonprofit foundation. And 
it as your as your mushroom would indicate <laughs> has funded and continues to fund a lot of the groundbreaking research centers scientists collaborations that i think have been acted as a foundation for much of the psychedelic renaissance that we have seen in the last five years. So a lot of the research and the the initial exploratory pilot studies at say Johns Hopkins and so on, the the SISE Foundation, which is my founda my foundation, has been involved with. So I wanted to see how I could raise money for the foundation, but to do it in a way that did not involve me just calling rich friends and trying to convince them to provide money. Which I can do and I'm pretty good at it, but that's not interesting. <laughs> it's not new. And I was, I was looking for unconventional options where I could not only raise money for the foundation, but also hopefully provide a proof of concept that would encourage other people to experiment. That's always what I do. I try to prototype some tests that if successful, other people will build upon. And so the mint ended up raising about $1.8 million. Uh, and I'm thinking of it in dollars because all of the primary sales immediately were converted to USD and then sent to the foundation. So yeah, thanks for the reminder. But that was one of the primary drivers. First of all, I would I would love to detour on that for for just two seconds because you know I'm personally interested in it. Um, when you made the announcement that you were starting this foundation, I, I thought that's you know it's really an an incredible thing to do. Um, uh, ballsy on some level, not you know, not, not overly, but I mean, in terms of like things to don't, to, to fund, um, you know, that there are, mm -hmm. you know, there are many to choose from and, and, you know, you, you, you chose one that's certainly controversial to some people at the same time, one that has, um, probably been the most, um, in my, this is my opinion, uh, the most underfunded relative to the potential benefit it could have to humankind, you know, since, mm -hmm. Um, you know, since the fifties and sixties, you know, maybe thank you, Tim Leary, maybe, maybe we shouldn't blame him. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I personally, I just, you know, find that, you know, I think it's, it's important work per personally. What, what's come of that, of that, uh, foundation so far, what's come from that foundation? Yeah. Happy to talk about it. So the foundation all, and well, I, I personally started funding and then the foundation a bit later, not that much later, research related to psychedelic compounds, I want to say 2015. So a lot has changed since 2015 and 2023. Quite a lot has changed in terms of public sentiment and also available capital. I mean, at the time, really, there were no for-profit psychedelic-related companies. And that has certainly since changed. There are thousands now at this point. And I, I have very mixed feelings about the approaches and sort of IP obstructionist patent troll type behavior of some of these companies, uh, especially when it comes to pre-existing uh, patents that belong to nature, let's just say, and blocking manufacturing. But let's not detour there for now. The foundation has funded uh, a lot of the initial research into the use of psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression and major depressive disorder. That was at Johns Hopkins Medical. And the primary investigator there was Roland Griffiths. And we were able to uh, first crowdfund that. So I had dedicated personal funding, but I wanted to gauge my audience and to see how much pushback if any, I would receive, not that it would change my decision, but I was curious to see what would happen. And so at the time used a company called CrowdRise, which I think has since been 
acquired by GoFundMe, I want to say that. I could be getting that wrong. And the motivation behind that is very personal. I have addiction in my family. My uh, aunt died of Percocet plus alcohol overdose. My uncle died of alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy. He was an alcoholic since he was a teenager. And my best friend growing up outside of my family died of an uh, opioid uh, fentanyl, in this case, overdose. And I also have uh, treatment-resistant and major depressive disorder uh, in my my on both sides of my family, and I've experienced that. So I can say from a personal level, and there are significant risks that don't get discussed enough, I think. But if we put that caveat aside for a moment, I mean, personally, these compounds and the associated therapies this therapeutic rapper have saved my life. I would not be here having this conversation with you if that were not, if that had not uh, entered my life or if, or if I had not entered those areas. Or we could uh, say there would, there would that, be no I would, cock punch. There would be no cock punch. There would be no cock punch. There would be, there would be, uh, there, there would not be a lot of things. And uh, for that reason, and having also seen on the underground so many results and looked at some of the older research also related to say alcoholism, which is now called alcohol use disorder. I'm sure that label will change, which has been resurrected in a sense by New York university. Uh, I wanted to engage very heavily. So it began with the depression. Then I was a, a founding funder of the first dedicated psychedelic research center uh, I want to say in the world, certainly in Europe, which was at Imperial College London with Robin Carhart Harris at the time and David Nutt and others. Then the foundation was part of the founding funding of the Johns Hopkins Center, which was a real watershed moment. So that was the first ever dedicated psychedelic research center in the United States. That includes in the 50s and 60s. And it ended up being multiple pages in the New York Times. The, it was on the cover of the New York Times and the cover of the science section. At the time, that was shocking. It was a, 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 an unbelievable type of placement for anything involving psychedelics. That has since changed. And, and part of the goal in funding that center and also raising about half of the money. So I had my foundation's personal commitment, but then I helped raise about half of the 17 million or 17.5 million that ultimately went to the center was to encourage other people to explore funding. So uh, I recognize that I don't have the most money, nor can I raise the most money in the world, but I do have a megaphone and I have a, a degree of credibility with certain circles. And the hope has always been that I can tip over a domino by going first. And if I don't, if I can demonstrate there's very little reputational risk that other people will follow suit. And that happened. So other studies and other firsts would involve, uh, sorry, would include the first psychedelic journalism fellowship, because there aren't enough good journalists covering this space, not just to cover the good, but to ferret out bad actors and to, to talk about risk factors and a million other things. So I was able to partner with Michael Pollan at uh, uh, and create this fellowship. So that's something the foundation did. Another first was the first law and policy center. Uh, it's a project. It's called the Poplar Project at, at Harvard Law School at the Petrie Flom Center. 
And so if you go to saiseifoundation.org, saisei is S-A-I-S-E-I, foundation.org. That means rebirth in Japanese. I used to live in Japan. It means many things in Japanese. One is rebirth. So saiseifoundation.org, if you go to projects, you'll see a lot of these are uncrowded bets that I thought would be high leverage because they were a proof of concept. I wanted other people, other institutions, other countries to copy and improve upon or to just use them as a starting point to build out more. Um, so I'm really proud of what the foundation has done. And there have been a lot of incredible supporters and uh, I'm also standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, there are many, many people who came before who were incredibly influential on the underground who will never get the credit that they deserve because many of them have passed away and some of them are still on the underground, so they can't really speak publicly. Yeah, well, and, and you know, we, we can, you know, come back to, to, to Web3 and I have a couple of things I want to ask you and I also want to be respectful of your time. But I, I also, I did want to um, pause on it because, I, you know, personally, I, I applaud you for, you know, you do have a megaphone and you could have just, you know, stood up and said, let's all, you know, go to South America and take ayahuasca. But instead, you know, you're... <laughs> you're trying to build the the canon of research and 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 like you said get to the bottom of it you know what what is it good for yeah. who is it good for um you know what businesses should we be building on this which ones we shouldn't um how, who how can we grow good actors how can we grow bad actors how can we really look at this um you know critically for the first time instead of um either you know Again, let's all go to South America and, and do ayahuasca because we're because we're cool, or 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 you know in in, in my in my brother's my brother's time, let's just you know take shrooms and go see Judas Priest, um, you know, or you know <laughs> this is evil, stay away from it, it's horrible, don't talk about it, don't look at it, don't look over here, there's nothing to see, you know, you're 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 really going down this path of um, no, let's let's like let's look rationally at this finally. Um, which I think is super important. So, um, you know, thank you for, uh, for, for, de for, for demystifying that for some people. And I think, you know, there is a tie in to me. I mean, A, you have, um, you know, dedicated the funds from Cockpunch to this particular thing. Um, but there's also this sort of fearless, um, fearlessness and, and, and an irreverence and a willingness to kind of stick your neck out there and go, let me try this. And if, if, if it works even somewhat, then other people, um, you know, please, you know, follow in my footsteps. Um, you know, when I first was explaining, uh, you know, NFTs to Ben, I don't know. Um, I said, listen, you know, he, cause he, he's just a, a guy that, that has always built on the back of creativity. And the simplest way to get the point across was anytime you give creative people a canvas, it's a matter of time before they blow you away. Um, and I feel like you're exploring the canvas of NFTs, um, and I guess, you know, I, I kind of, I really, you know, and, and again, in, 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 um, respect of your time, I just have a couple more things I wanted to ask you. And one is, you know, how are you finding the fiction writing as opposed to the nonfiction that you've, you've done so much of nonfiction? Yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy to, to, to dig into this. And I would like to say one thing before we move too far, which is the, the, the foundation funds predominantly early stage science that will hopefully lay the foundation for many different branching possibilities of higher level scientific exploration. And so, I mean, some of them are still using very advanced imaging and so on, but the foundation does a few other things. I'll just mention one here, which is because I have 
and this is, uh, you know, a lot of people have done this. I'm not one of a kind here, but I've learned so much from lineages that are represented by traditional healers, whether it's in Mexico or in South America and various parts. Uh, I, the foundation also supports different projects and outfits like Amazon conservation team, ACT, which is headed up by Dr. Mark Plotkin, very famous ethnobotanist, his wife, and they are incredibly effective at not just protecting uh, indigenous lands and securing federal protections in different countries, most notably, I would say in Colombia, but certainly in other places. Uh, they're very, very good at pre preserving, uh, let's call it, ethnobiological and ethnocultural knowledge uh, from different tribes for those tribes to avoid things like biopiracy or at least to mitigate against it. So there are funds that have gone to protect in the, say, Sibundoy Valley, these uh, sacred gardens, which are unique for a couple of reasons, one of which is that they're entirely female run, which is actually quite unusual. You do find female healers at a, let's just say, a high level in the hierarchy in a few notable tribes, the Shipibo and the Mazatecs come to mind. It's not that common, but in this particular case, it's a, it's a, I thought it was a very for a whole host of reasons, a high leverage and very important project. So while I am exploring on one end of the spectrum, the most advanced science that has ever been done on these compounds, at least some of it, I'm also trying to protect and preserve and further understand or propagate understanding of the traditional cultures who through trial and error over hundreds of years or millennia have allowed the world to experience some of these incredible plants and compounds. So I just wanted to make the point that I, I do think it is, it's important to see the whole elephant, not to stretch the metaphor, but the, the, the entire parable of like five blind men all holding a different part of the elephant and thinking that the elephant is that thing, you know, it's a snake, it's like a rat, it's this, oh no, it's a wall. I think that both on the, uh, if you overemphasize and focus exclusively on, say, the indigenous or focus exclusively on the latest scientific, you can develop a certain uh, myopia and blindness that is damaging to the whole. So I just wanted to say that. On the fiction side, I am loving writing fiction because when you're a nonfiction writer, at least of the type that I suppose I am, you do incredibly long-term in-depth research, then you outline and blueprint, which is effectively like the architect creating the plans. And then after that point, there are creative decisions along the way in terms of how you might format a chapter. But from a content perspective, you know what's coming. It's, it's carpentry on some level. With fiction, if you approach it in the way that I'm approaching it, and there are many ways to write fiction, and I'm a novice, I can make what comes out a surprise. And in that respect, you can spend more time dancing with the muse. And if something just pops out of nowhere, you can use that thing. Versus if it doesn't fit into an outline and a flow for a 700 page book that is due in six months, you don't have quite as much wiggle room. But since this is open ended, since I did my best. And I think I set very clear expectations about what this 
is and would be and would not be, uh, I have free reign to play in a way that I think has been, or I've, th I've thought of as being impossible up to this point. And I'm getting so much out of it. I'm having a blast. My, my next question, you know, you, you have, um, an incredible set of crypto teachers. I have listened yeah. to you learn about crypto from the likes of Naval Ravikant, uh, Balaji, um, Kevin, etc. And, you know, and, and so, you know, the, as you said earlier, you know, you've been kind of in and around this and, you know, a, a curious mind, a spectator, a, an investor, a collector, um, for a while, but for you with this project, I'm curious, you know, what, um, what's, what's new here in your, in your mind, right? What wouldn't have been possible without web three, you know, you, you did a, crowd rise, um, you know, once upon a time, and now you've done, you know, something else. So, you know, what are the elements that, that blockchain brings to this and, you know, and, and, and how, what's the, what's the, the, the maximum you think you might be able to get out of that, out of the, the technology, the, the newness here? Yeah, the newness, uh, I mean, there are, we could go into all sorts of, of nuances, but I think the, the crux element is ownership. <laughs> Right. If people buy a book, they they don't own a unique asset. I, I hesitate to use the word asset because this is not financial advice. I dissuaded everyone who would read any fucking element of the FAQ not to buy this as an investment or view it as an investment. Pardon my French. I'm from Long Island, but uh, I'll use it for simplicity's sake because it's just a term people will understand. So if you buy a book. Uh, <laughs> or you buy many different, whether it's a physical good or a digital good, you have no ownership, you have no title. And that can produce all sorts of issues. I mean, you can have sort of tragedy of the commons type situations, uh, both in real life, physical life, and digitally speaking. Uh, and so the ownership is the key piece. Now, ownership as a term isn't that interesting to me, but incentives are very interesting to me. So can you use ownership to align incentives? And the answer I think is maybe, not always. And I, what I've observed is I think in an unconstrained, completely decentralized environment with anonymity, the default is the worst of human nature. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my, that's my conclusion. Like the default is Lord of the flies, terrible behavior, and that's human nature. So I would say, even if you want a trustless system that relies on code, uh, human nature is going to find a way to squeeze through the cracks in some fashion, whether it's obvious or very subtle and indirect. And uh, for that reason, you know, I've, I've been watching, especially the by the way, especially yeah. if there's money to be made, right? Because especially if there's money to be made or lost, right? Like, look what happens, like, what will people do to make a hundred dollars versus what will they do to avoid losing a hundred dollars versus what will they do to punish the world if they feel like they've had a hundred dollars taken away. And I've thought about these things for a very long time. I've studied them. I've read all of these books on behavioral economics, you know, predictably rational, a million others, including some more technical stuff. And I think as a 
participant with a megaphone who has some practice with community, I don't want to say building, uh, community shaping, perhaps. Building and shaping. I think they're separate skill sets. Uh, I want to try to direct the current towards situations and communities where the better aspects, let's just say the more positive aspects of human nature are rewarded. And that takes work. It doesn't just happen. It, it, is, it, it really does not just happen. Said, right? I mean, you're, you've yeah. got to establish, yeah. you're building a community, a community with incentives at the end of the day. Remember Robert Kinsel yeah. um, talking about, you know, building YouTube and realizing that it went from a village to a town, to a city, to a country. Um, and it needed laws, which in some ways means incentives, right? If you do, yep. you do this thing, you get a slap on the wrist. You do this thing, you get a cookie. Yeah. And, and, and I think in web three, uh, this is not true across the board, but there is a, there tends to be a, I think, narrow focus on financial incentive. And of course that would be the case because you have the blockchain, you have this, this, just, you have this transparent <laughs> ledger and everybody can look at the scorecard, not just their scorecard, but multiple scorecards. And uh, humans like to track such things because they are simple. It's kind of like, you know, the guy looking for his lost keys under the lamp at night. And they're like, well, I thought you lost it over there. And he's like, yeah, but it's brighter over here. I think that whatever is obvious and quantifiable it tends to have a gravitational pull, but, uh, I, 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 what I've, what I've seen is I think a lot of creators who focus on developing mechanics for fostering, say loyalty through, uh, some type of financial incentive. And some of them are very interesting. I'm not ruling them out for myself, but, um, uh, they're kind of layer one. They're the most obvious to me. And so I would like to experiment with other means of reward, not just because I philosophically and morally think it's a good idea, but also because if you focus on the financial, you're going to attract people who focus on the financial. And that's not the community I want to build. That the, the, I do not want to attract the transactional who are kind of low attention span, low loyalty. I want there to be other reasons that they engage. And I don't think that's naive because I've operated in a bunch of worlds where there are no, there is no digital ownership. There is no title. So there is no financial incentive, but you can have other incentives. What remains to be seen is in web three, at least let's just say the NFT world that we're discussing once you have a financial incentive, does it crowd out everything else? Do people just become savage beasts because that incentive overpowers everything else? I don't think so automatically. Um, I don't think that's true automatically, but you have to apply in my feeling, not just a part of establishing good incentives is creating really positive constraints. So I'm thinking a lot about how you can use constraints, which might mean slowing down the rate of expansion or public exposure uh, to play the long game if we're trying to run a really fascinating social experiment, which will be a, like a, a tiny corner of the Web3 world that is hopefully very positive where people can go to get recharged 
instead of uh, just like swimming in the pool that everyone's pissed in. Uh, you, you really have to think about the kind of design parameters and what you will allow and what you'll disallow and what disallowing means, right? How, like there, if there are rewards, there are consequently punishments, whether that's the absence of reward or some type of, you know, exiling or banning or whatever it might be. This requires a lot of thought. Uh, so I, I'm enjoying that right now. I know that's a long answer, but hopefully people no, find I, part I, of that. Worth I think it's actually really interesting and worth and worth exploring. I think your notion, your question about, you know, if, when there are financial incentives, you know, does that crowd out everything else, you know, because, and I think, I, I think you're right. Also, I agree with you, not necessarily, but I think that means it'll always be a part of it. Right. Um, I pay for my Soho house membership. Um, it's not resellable. Um, there's not a financial incentive for me to buy a Soho house membership. My incentives are actually all the opposite, right? Did I use enough to get the value? <laughs> um, yep. you know, did I visit enough, enough houses this year to get the, to get the value? Um, and you know, if there was a financial incentive for selling it, um, I may have sold my Malibu membership by now, you know, um, yep. you know, instead of simply letting it expire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, so I, but I think that to your point, like the incentives are probably whatever you give as rewards, right? Um, if financial rewards are attainable, then people will certainly take those. Um, you know, but if you're giving other rewards, you know, for me as a proof member, I really value, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the daily kind of, you know, espresso, uh, that they have, which is like a, you know, an NFT market, uh, update and and that is not a financial reward at all, but it is a reward to me. It's it is a reward of membership. You know, at the same yep. time, if you're going to buy a proof membership at the price that they're at, then you would be absolutely justified in asking yourself, like, what am I getting? What is the value that I'm getting in return? And if you don't think you're going to get um, that many ETH in value out of the daily NFTs and the chatter on on Discord. Um, then you should ask yourself, okay, well, am, am I going to, you know, do I stand a chance to make some money back on this thing? Right. So yeah. I think that, the, that it's somewhat natural and, and it comes over time and it's why it is exactly why I said to you in the very beginning, let's talk in a year, because I think that yeah. you will kind of set up that incentive system for your community. People who think your incentives suck will bail. People who think your incentives are awesome will stay or join. And then you'll, you'll hit some sort of an equilibrium. Uh, you know, and I, and I think, I really think that's great to be honest. You know, the way that I look at this personally is that the internet that, um, you and I have, have, um, benefited from so much was this revolution of information. You know, the fact that we can have this conversation is in due to the internet. The fact we can share this conversation with other people at basically no cost is because of the internet, but that's a revolution of information that used to be, um, behind gatekeepers and now is free. The blockchain brings us this revolution of value. You know, what you're doing is you're, you're, and I, and I love watching it. Right. And that's why I say, let's talk, let's, let's talk in a year because, um, you're going to be playing with the incentive systems in your, you know, within your community and you're using it as a creative platform and you're using it as, you know, a platform to do good for a cause that you care about. Um, so, um, I think all of those things are, are, you know, totally valid for me personally. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch them, uh, unfold. I, I think, um, you know, just to, to, to wrap up, I'd, I'd love to ask you about crypto broadly. You know, you've had, um, again, some of the absolute best minds in, in the space on, on your, on your show and have the opportunity to have a conversation with them. And I'm curious what you, 
think this 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 future looks like um i think you know all of us think this is quite early i'm here because i was there at the very beginning of the internet and i that was the fun part and so i want to be here at the yeah. very beginning of this assuming that this is also the fun part and I, and i love um you know thinking about what this looks like you know not 30 days from now not even 5 years from now but you know 10 years from now 25 years from now and even even after i'm gone um, you know, what is, what is, um, what is the importance of, of crypto to you? It's a big question. And I think it's probably above my pay grade in, in many, many capacities, but I will say that I do think digital ownership is here to stay. That is the most interesting piece for me. Uh, I do think, uh, distributed systems and, uh, uh decentralized marketplaces and so on are, are here to stay. However, I, w I will say that if, if you were to take anyone listening to this and say, okay, active player in web three, go grab 20 of your smartest friends who has never engaged with this and try to get them to the point where they're having fun being involved. That is a very big ask. I, I like to think that I'm reasonably smart, not the smartest. I mean, I, I probably am as dumb as I look, but I have a decent amount of experience testing new technologies and people will probably look down their nose at me when I say this, it's a pain in the ass. It is a real pain in the ass for the most part to get to the point where you can engage in a meaningful way. And even if you engage in a meaningful way, there's a lot of bad behavior. There is a lot of bad behavior. And that can be outright fraud and illegal activity, but it can also just be very destructive or corrosive human behavior, which is protected by anonymity. So I would expect that digital ownership is here to stay, but that <laughs> for this to onboard anything resembling a critical mass in the mainstream, uh, which by the way, should be an existential priority for anyone involved with the space. Because if you have, if you have the majority of your net worth or even a substantial amount of your net worth and assets that are tied to this, and you don't want it all to be destroyed through various regulatory actions. And trust me, if you think you're Jason Bourne, you're not probably. So I would encourage you to not try to be Jason Bourne, uh, unless you've been doing this for a very long time, in which case I still can't advise that you do it, but um, having worked with a bunch of three letter acronyms in the past, I can tell you, uh, they're a lot smarter and much more seasoned and much more technical than you can imagine. Uh, I would say that I would anticipate if this, if there is a there there, and this is going to be adopted, uh, there are going to be a few drivers of that. Number one will be services that allow some degree of protection against not just fraud, but bad behavior, being constantly exposed. If someone's experience of the internet is like being in the worst parts of Twitter, they're not going to use the internet. So I, I would say that services will certainly come about, and I understand the expression, you know, trusted third parties or security holes and all of these various expressions that are common in Web3. I, I agree with that end, I think the majority of people would rather have Amazon have per access to their purchase history than every person on the internet. 
So there will be modifications made. And if you don't want any of those modifications to be made, this stuff is not going to be adopted. If it's not going to be adopted, it's not necessarily going to get stamped out of existence. But if one of your primary reasons for being involved is that you're a true believer in whether it's, you know, fill in the blank crypto, I'm not going to name names because people go fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, you should want broader adoption. What that means is institute, not just retail, but institutional and probably at some point, sovereign wealth, et cetera. And you just cannot have repeated FTXs. You just can't have that. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so I do think digital ownership is a really important and transformative concept. Uh, I do think digital ownership in I, uh, virtual spaces, I don't want to use the M word, uh, but in virtual spaces uh, is nearly inevitable, whether they're in closed or open systems, right? So we already see skins and various assets you can buy within a gaming environment. So I do think that uh, the big question is, will anyone be properly incentivized and funded to develop something or anything that operates cross-platform? Uh, I don't know. TBD, right? Will there be something that is the equivalent of an open source project like WordPress? And so it began that allows some degree of interoperability that is that produces a product that is more compelling than, say, a meta? I don't know. It's going to be hard. It's, gonna, it's not going to be easy. Uh, but the I'm watching all of this. I think there are more open questions than answers. Uh, and I'll, I'll stop talking at that because I don't have a crystal ball, but there are uh, like, there, there's a lot of house cleaning that needs to be done. And if, if the, let's just say the participants in web three are not willing to, in some capacity, self-govern and self-police, someone else is going to do it for you. So <laughs> it's not a question of if you like either of those, uh, do you want to opt out of both of those? You, you do not get to opt out of both. You get to choose one or the other. I appreciate it. I, I'll, um, I'll save, I'll save the, you know, my, uh, my, my opinion on it for the next. No, the next I want to hear, no, tear it apart. I, I'm a newbie here. I want to, I, I want to, if, if any of my stuff is, doesn't hold water, I, you, you have such a broader, uh, experience with all of this. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I bet other people would too. No, I, I think I, I, I completely agree with you that the experience lacks, right? Like, and that's, and that's, um, the fundamental of, of what you're getting at here. The, um, and that's, you know, frankly, what our job is every day, um, yeah, totally. is to, is to improve that user experience. Um, and we have a long way to go. You know, what I always say to people is I remember very well when you didn't say, go to my website, you said, you took a deep breath first and you said, there's this thing called the web. And if you get a computer and you get a modem and you get a web browser and you get an ISP, uh, then you can go to this thing called the web and it's super slow. And as long as you don't mind that your room, you know, we get kicked off the web when your roommate picks up the phone, you know what I mean? It was, you know, like that's what it was. And it yep. was a joke. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it was, it was reasonable for a grown up to look at it and go, um, have you seen the TV? The fucking thing works, uh, you yeah. know? Um, and, and so, but you know, there was something else there. And I do remember also people telling me the, the internet will never work. The future is going to look a lot more like America online. 
um, you know, than, than this world wide web thing, you know, cause it's way yeah. too hard to use. And I remember people saying everyone will never have broadband, um, because, you know, that's crazy. And I remember people saying everyone will never have a smartphone. Like that's for rich people. Um, they'll never pay $500 for a smartphone. Um, and, and so, you know, to me, like, you know, the technology, once technology is possible, it's inevitable. And I agree with your, your, um, your base thesis, which is, you know, digital ownership is revolutionary, right? Um, we've spent all this time again, from, for me in my head, the internet was this revolution of, of information. You know, it used to be like, how much spectrum is there on FM? How much, how many channels are there on TV cable, how many videos can a video store stock? How many magazines can the magazine shop hold? You know, like we were limited by those things. And if you didn't have access to those distribution channels, well then fuck you. Right. You know, and now like Tim Ferriss can sit wherever in the world he is, turn on his microphone and reach a global audience. And that is unfucking believable. Right. It's just like, imagine telling the 15 year old me or you that that was possible. Like, holy shit. When I was 15, I drove an hour to buy a magazine so I could mail order vinyl. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) the world, the world has completely changed. Um, you know, and I think, I think also, but I think also the main thing is, is that, um, all you're, you're completely right. I think, you know, that, 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 that certainly straight up scammers, but the real reality is, is that FTX has zero to do with crypto. Right. Um, uh, it's actually, there's nothing yeah. in it. Okay. Go ahead. No, like t- t- the technical reality is like, if, if I give you $50 and you tell me, yeah, I've got $50 of value, that's not crypto. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what asset it's held in. It doesn't matter if it's held in dollars or cocks or, you know, bitcoins, <laughs> you know, it's fake. You yeah, know, yeah. if I give you $50 and you're like, yeah, 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 sure. It's over there. And it's not, that yeah. is not, that is fundamentally not crypto that's not digital ownership that's actually the opposite of digital ownership right um and so you know that that's like simply fraud um and so yes you know just like there was one coin once upon a time which was this total i mean it's actually there was an amazing it was a bbc podcast about one coin and it's you know what you've got is you've got kind of the promise of number go up which is exactly the thing that you're you know disliking in the you know, why is everyone so, you know, focused on number go up. Right. Um, and it's like that number go up is like in the human psyche, right? Oh my God, Vegas. It's, um, it's, it, and it's like conflating that with multi-level marketing. And that was called one coin, right? Actually it was a scam. It was never liquid. It never existed. It was put your money in the money never comes out. It was a money roach motel. Um, and, and actually crypto is, is magic money, right? It's, it's when I put, if I put fifty dollars in the bank, there's not fifty dollars in the back with my in the back with my name on it. But if I buy fifty dollars in Bitcoin, there is actually fifty dollars with my name on it, right? And so it's denominated in Bitcoin, yes, but it could be denominated in dollars, and it's called USDC, or it could be you know denominated in something else. But but that is actually the magic. And so I'm I'm just putting the two together, right? It's that it's the concept of digital ownership with the concept of money or the concept of ownership with cock punch or the concept of ownership with a concert ticket or, um, you know, a digital fashion, as you said, in in gaming, you know, or a digital weapon in the game that I'm playing or, you know, those sorts of things. So, I mean, you know, you know, actually I, I agree across the board. I think the user experience must improve. And that's like all I think about all day, every day at my job. And we have such a long way to go, but my job in fact is to, improve that user experience without 
ever leading people into an FTX world. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and we had, you know, um, artists come up to us at, at, at Art Basel and just say like, look, I just want to say thank you because I actually didn't understand the concept of self-custody, Yeah. but because some friend put me on ledger, I actually didn't get wrecked when everyone else did. And now I understand. Right. And so it's that, it's that unwillingness to compromise on the self-custody and the security because if not self-custody, why crypto? And then um, trying to drive toward this ease of use future, which is elusive, just like it was elusive on the internet in 1998. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it was, you know, we did before broadband, 10 years before the iPhone, like, oh my God, why are we even doing this? Like, I, I've always say that like when the iPhone appeared, a whole bunch of us, especially when the iPhone dropped an app store, a whole bunch of us went, wait, that's not the web, but oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for. Like, there's a reason that we've been building, right? And and so I think that day might actually still be 10 years away. Yep. Six years away, eight years away. You know, that ease of that ease of use that you're talking about, completely agree with you. Um, you know, but I, and, and I think also though, and when you're, you're getting to this and a lot of things you're saying, the stakes are just higher. Yeah. You're talking about value. You're talking about money. We, you know, look, the stakes were high if you were a record label or a movie company or a newspaper with the internet, right? But for the average individual, they weren't as high. But yeah. in the world of crypto and Web3, like De La Soul said, stakes are high for everybody, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, so anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's my thoughts on it. So it's a, I know. I'm so happy I to, to, to hear these thoughts. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are too. So first of all, glad I, glad I asked and pushed it a little bit. Secondly, I, I want to maybe comment on just one piece, which is <clears throat> I would agree with you hundred percent that FTX doesn't necessarily, or maybe not at all, represent a technical failing of crypto as you are describing it if you have self-custody. However, if you take the perspective of, say, a macro hedge fund investor, I know that's probably a dirty word for a lot of people, but let's just say someone who looks at the interrelatedness and the secondary and tertiary effects of different things that might at first be a few hops away but nonetheless can suffer or benefit from contagion. F the reason I mentioned FTX is simply because it is a very high profile problem and collapse. Totally that, agree. That, that no, provides no question at all. huge motivation for politicians to grandstand and also in some sincere cases, lobby and push for change that will ultimately affect the major, I would say, if not the majority, a very high percentage of people who hold crypto in one capacity or another, including self-custody. That's why I bring it up because there are many different species of collapse, many different species of fraudster. I mean, uh, we don't have to go through the list. I mean, there are many other examples outside of uh, FTX, right? And they're, they're very distinct types of problems that can be presented, which includes public perception, which if that is the, uh, constituency of a given politician, then leads to, uh, political pressure for various types of change. Right. So it's, my point no, was I, not so I, much. I agree. And, yeah. and, and also like, that's, I think that, that the, the ways this is the same as the internet are, you know, like the amount of kind of overexcitement, gold rush, et cetera. Um, in the late nineties, you know, is, is 
a very similar thing. And, and many, many, many investors got burned in, in those days. And I, sure. you know, you and I know, you and I know a lot of them and, you know, I just, I still work with Ben, I don't know. And like, you know, he, they got burned in the nineties and, and they like just ran away from the internet for like yeah. 10 years, Yep. you know? And so that, that same thing will happen today, you know, and, and yep. you're, I, I agree with you, uh, um, you know, a thousand percent about that. And I think to your point, it's probably amplified because, you know, in the, you know, certainly we had a big, you know, kind of stock market impact with the internet in when the dot-com bubble burst, but you know, the, the average, um, uh, you know, Lycos user <laughs> didn't lose a lot of funds. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. Where like, imagine if all of the internet users, um, had, had also, you know, lost a lot of value, you know? And, yeah. and, and so that's where, you know, politicians look at their constituencies and go, oh my God, you guys are getting, you know, you guys are getting wrecked. Um, it should be like, you get a wreck guy, you get a wreck guy, you know, every, yeah. you know, no, I'm just joking, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but, but it, but it's, you know, it's not, it's like, look, I've got to protect you. That's my job as a, as a politician. This to me though, is where like what, what Balaji talks about becomes, um, you know, quite real. I think it's, I think the way that he puts it, that we're moving from God to state to network is, um, you know, is true. Um, it'll take the next, you know, 25 to, you know, years or longer to play out just like, you know, the internet has played out over the last 25. Um, but I think over that time horizon, that's more what I'm thinking about is, you know, over that time horizon, um, you know, my opinion is, is that your passport becomes a digital document and the yep. way that you, you know, you move borders is you, you show that you are the owner of the wallet that contains that document. And by the way, that wallet is easy to use just the way, the same way that like, yep. you know, dial up was incredibly hard to use in, in, in 1995, but it's, it's non-existent today. Um, you know, and I, I, I always use the example that I remember ripping compact discs at the DOS command line. <laughs> right. And now yeah. when I say, you know, Hey Siri, play some Beatles, you know, the, the Beatles, you know, pops out of my phone. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, so that, that's, that's what happens, but it does take 25 years. So yeah, my phone is actually trying to play the Beatles. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. I would say just a, but, if, but, if you don't mind, just I'll, 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 no, I'll please, feather, feather in a few things. So the first would be the most exciting potential use cases that I've been able to think of. And I mean, a lot of them are going to be skeuomorphic to use a really fancy uh, term, uh, <laughs> borrow from Chris Dixon, uh, uh, but is along the lines of what you described, passport. Uh, certainly as someone who tends to get injured a lot because I push my body too hard, uh, medical records. Like if, if I, I, the, the amount of money I would pay to not have to fill out the same damn intake form every time I go to the doctor, uh, it's a great example would be that that is a huge opportunity for anyone who can crack that even partially. Every time you go, you know, when I go skiing and I drop off my kid and I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Let me tell you my life story and sign yeah, away my life. All that stuff. Um, yeah. uh, so those, those are, and then we get into other high transaction cost purchases or sales, which I think will be another area of great opportunity and it'll take time. But if we're looking at cars, if we're looking at real estate, that will take a very long time. And I will say in part, not because it's technically difficult to address, but I do think some of the web three idealists, uh, underestimate the power and stick to of incumbents 
<laughs> so for instance, uh, you know, the, the, any state government and by state, uh, it could mean state level, but it could mean federal will not go quietly into the night. And <laughs> the, the people percent. with guns in jails ultimately, uh, have a tremendous power and, I don't think anyone who's who wants a sort of tribal, semi uh, pseudo anarchy has actually lived under any of those conditions, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 certainly difficult to execute well. I haven't seen many examples, and uh, the, the the reason I bring this up is that. Just like when you're developing a product, it doesn't have to be Web3. I don't, I'm not poking fun at Web3. It could be in anything. You know, like you pick it, biotech or whatever. There's a tendency to look at the toolkit that is available in biotech, Web3, and what has been done in Web3, biotech, whatever. Uh, and that underestimates not just what you can trans, uh, transpose or or borrow from other areas and use effectively in your domain, but it also underestimates the uh, interconnectedness, right? So I think people have, many people have wanted crypto to ask, act as this uh, counterbalance to market forces that are otherwise outside of their control, maybe to have it act as a hedge, but at the, the larger the adoption, the more institutional players, right? So it, it's people want in some cases opposing goals or they want, they want opposing outcomes. Like they want mainstream adoption because hopefully that means <laughs> that prices go up and A, B, and C happens. While at the same time, in order for that to happen, you have larger and larger players and they are looking at a portfolio of assets, including crypto. And if crypto it can be bought or sold 24-7 and is highly liquid... Uh, and that's not even counting derivatives or other types of sort of synthetic instruments that are laid on top of crypto. Uh, they will affect the market. And what that means is their actions will matter in most success cases for crypto. And what affects their behavior is committees and boards of directors and so on, or just people who have a fiduciary responsibility to track public sentiment and other things, political movements that could take an asset through the floor, right? Um, so there's, there's a lot to keep, there's a lot to keep track of. I don't claim to keep track of it, but, uh, coming back to a comment I made earlier, like if there's no self-policing within web three or very minimal self-policing and cleanup, somebody else is going to do it. Uh, or certainly totally attempt to do it with that. very heavy hands and, yeah. um, I don't encourage I, you to I, fight the government. Yeah. It doesn't turn out very well generally. No, I, I completely agree with you. I, um, I think the thing that I, I find interesting about this, and there's at, at, at two different ends of the spectrum, you know, one, who, Balaji, who you've spoken to many yep. times, um, you know, I, I, um, I, I think that his point that, you know, the network has already unseated a sitting U.S. president or muted a sitting U.S. president shows that, you know, we're on the precipice of some power from the network that sits outside of 
of government. And I, I think every point you made is valid. I just think that that's, that's actually incredibly interesting and it does I show agree. 100%. The, the existing, the existing power of the network. I also completely agree with you because, and I do think that we're probably heading toward, you know, if you believe what Balaji says, um, you know, that we're moving from God to state to network, then battles between state and network are, are inevitable. Oh, they're coming. And it sounds science yep. fiction. No, it's within the next go, three years well, wait, that's going to happen, I think. I well, think it's. Isn't within... Anonymous already waging yeah. war on Russia? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, isn't yeah. that a network state versus a nation state? Like, yeah. that's that seems quite close at, close at hand. Um, so I definitely agree with you that they, the states will not go quietly. Yeah. And that will that will mean a lot of pain. Um, and I'd like to interview Balaji again on, 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 this, uh, on this very topic. Um, and, um, you know, but I, I do think that there's another end of the spectrum and maybe we'll close here because we touched, touched on it a bit earlier and it's a little, a little, um, you know, more fun. I, I interviewed, um, recently Yancey Strickler who has met a label and we talked about the power of this technology to kind of, you know, replace the indie label. I mean, he, he, it was more than that, but like, if you, if we want to, again, bring it back to something that's like close to the heart instead of maybe a gun to the head, um, <laughs> you know, the, you know, an indie label is a collective of individuals an independent, you know, record label is a collective of individuals after a creative mission. Right. And I think this technology has, you know, incredible power to empower a group of people wherever they are in the world, whatever state they might, you know, be living under to collaborate and share the value of that collaboration. Um, you know, so I think that we'll kind of run the spectrum from something that, you know, is, is maybe as, as quaint as that, but meaningful in the lives of, of, of individuals all the way to, and I, to me, that is a continuation of what the internet has already done. Like Jeff Jarvis said in 2008, you know, um, he said that we're moving from a mass market to a mass of niches. And to me, that's very much in line with, you know, Balaji's view of the network state, but it, you know, Balaji is taking it all the way to when that becomes government, you know, I'm much more in the, like when that forms a band, you know, that's yep. more where, you know, where, yeah, yeah. where I live. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe, you know, both things happen, uh, over time, but you know, one, it involves guns and jails and the other one, you know, in, in involves, uh, you know, guitars and Ableton. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. More fun to spend time in the latter, which is also, you know, it's like web three is a scary place right now for most people. And totally. there are many ways you can get, you can lose your shirt or worse. Right. And, yep. uh, so I think within that, that chop, there is a lot of opportunity. Uh, and I hope people will study other study history, right? Study if, if, if you find it interesting, some geopolitics, right? Study what has happened in Argentina over and over and over again. And don't just take the index card version and leap to the conclusion that crypto will fix all of it because I don't necessarily think that's true. There are more lessons you can take. And I used to live in Argentina, so I, I can speak to this. But study collapses. Study the rise and fall of leaders. And uh, also on the fun side, right? look at technologies that have battled and where the victors are not always the best technology right? VHS, Betamax, if I want to really age myself. There's so many elements that go into mass adoption. And a lot of them are non-obvious to the general public. So uh, 
study the rise and I know this might sound silly, but like study the rise and fall of Atari, right? Look at some of these that are actually fun to go back and learn about. TCPIP was not the was not the yeah. necessarily the critic's choice. Yeah, know? yeah. There's so many, but examples. it changed humanity. Yeah, there's so yeah. many examples, and um, for people who are just like all government's bad, let's not forget that they gave us the internet. Um, <laughs> if you want to study innovation, actually, people should take a very close look at DARPA. Uh, that's just a side note. I mean, one of the most incredible innovation track records of any organization in world history. Uh, so, I'm excited about it's it. A, it's a yeah, it's a it's a great point. It's a great point. Um, I, I, I think I think you know. Um, yeah, th- this is why I, I think I think I actually think that Balaji's take on it is quite cogent because a he has studied studied history, yeah. right? Um, and he is thinking about DARPA in a way, right? Like, what does the DARPA of the future look like, or where does it come from, right? Yeah. And you know, there might be a moment when uh, and and actually, I think you'll enjoy. I'll send to you my interview with uh, with Yancey because I think you'll enjoy cool. it. He talks yeah, about please. what he thinks the the earliest meta label was, and and the answer to that is actually cool. Um, is is actually quite interesting. Um, you know, but, uh, but I, but I, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, I, I read this paper in college that was, um, uh, what was it called? Um, night as frontier. And they okay. were, it was a sociology study about how they were comparing nighttime to wild west. The idea was mm-hmm. we've explored a lot of our spatial territories. So what if we go into this, this temporal territory, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they were saying that nighttime has a lot of the same characteristics as the wild west, right? You're more likely to strike up a conversation with the person behind the counter at the grocery store. You're also more likely to get shot, right? Um, <laughs> you know, if, you, if, you, if you drop your wallet on the street, you're, it's actually more likely to be returned at night. They were showing this paper. But I do think that this literally is the Wild West. There's a reason that they call it the Wild West, right? Because in a way, you're going to make some of the tightest friendships you've ever made if you're in this space, right? At the same time, to your point, you could lose much more than your shirt, right? Um, and... You know, and some of, and just like Las Vegas, I, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to spend a little money and experiment in, uh, in NFTs. And that's like saying, I'm, I'm just going to take, you know, a little bit of money to Vegas and just experiment and see what yeah. happens. You know, yeah. um, I know what's going to happen when I go to Vegas. Um, you know, and maybe <laughs> I should know what's going to happen when I play here too, but you know, you always think you're smarter than the slot machine. Right. Um, yep. so I think your points are, are, you know, are, are exactly correct and, and people do need to hear them. Um, I think, you know, and I said this to Gary V when, when, you know, we were like, um, standing at the top of uh, a VCon and like looking out over all the 15,000 people who were at VCon. And I said, do you feel like you're bringing people to America 300 years ago? You know, like it is unquestionably the land of opportunity and a lot of them are going to die of dysentery. Watch 1883. Okay. You're all sitting out on the Oregon trail. <laughs> Ain't going to be easy. Uh, and I'm really excited about Both space. things are true. Yeah, both are both are true, and I, I think in in the meantime, you know, coming back to the fiction question and other things, I, I'm deciding in what capacities I want to engage and just setting rules for myself that I'm going to follow personally, for enjoyment, and also for safety. Right? I think a lot of folks out there who talk about wrench attacks have never actually had physical threats. Right? Like I've had bomb threats, I've had stalkers, I've had to have police and FBI involved because of literal people who've said I'm going to come to like South by South by South by Southwest and shoot you. Uh, when it gets concrete, your life changes dramatically. Side note, also 
uh, innovation from sort of military government. If you want a good off-label use of really good night vision goggles, take them out and look at the stars. Uh, you can see everything. So that's just <laughs> non-weaponized use of Amazing. night vision goggles. Uh, but but the point is, I th there's there's a lot of fun to be had. There are a lot of bad actors. It's got to get cleaned up one way or the other, so people can kind of choose like, our, do it ourselves or have external forces try to do it for us. And I, I am very excited because of the the Wild West aspect of the rules, so to speak. Like there are certain technical limitations and things that are permissible or possible. But within that, I will say just to hopefully start to wrap up on a, a more optimistic, less gun to the head uh, note that uh, humans cohere to dogma very, very quickly. And it's like every three months, you know, a project must do this and can't do that and must do that. And I'm like, where do these 10 commandments come from? Like humans really, really, really love 10 commandments. Most of the time they can at least be stress tested. And in, mo in some cases they're completely false. Like there's no evidence to really strongly support this dogma. So I would just encourage people experiment, 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 like figure out fast, low cost ways to do things that seem absurd, not criminal, but just out of the box. And every once in a while they work. And then five years later, people are going to say, Oh, of course, of course, that was obviously the right thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah. But exactly. at the time it's going it. to seem it's, fucking nuts. It's, it's new technology, new, new technology like this is, um, a creative tool. It's why I loved working with the BC boys for as long as I did, because their MO was always, um, abuse the canvas. <laughs> right? And, and yeah. you know, and you know, it didn't matter if that canvas was a record or an album cover or a music video or a live show or a magazine or, you know, abuse the canvas. And like, that's what we, that to me, that's, what's exciting. That's why I love the irreverence. Um, it's why I love that, you know, the aspects of what you're doing from the fiction to the storytelling, to the irreverence, um, to the, to the, um, to the, the charitable side of it. Um, so, um, I think that's a great, a great place to end on. Um, thank you for giving me so much time. I super appreciate it. Oh, wow. uh, this is fun for me. Again. Thank you. A anytime. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, any, anytime, uh, I'd love to do it again and have a, have a, have a great time wherever in the world you are. Yeah. Thanks very much. And I, you know, I'll, I'll say just as a teaser, you know, this, this entire thing with Cockpunch and people can just find it, you know, cockpunch.com at Cockpunch on Twitter and wherever else. But the project is a Trojan horse for a bunch of fun stuff. And that will be forthcoming. Uh, and you know, the, the surprises are part of the payoff, right? But, uh, like the, the, what is obvious about your project does not have to be the primary driver for your project. And so I encourage people to think about that as well. Like, how do you master, how do you, how might you operate more like a stage performer or a magician who, or an illusionist who uses very specific reveals over time to tie things together that are separated by time or space. And that sounds lofty and strange perhaps, but you can make the absurd also a vehicle for things that are serious or philosophical. You can do a lot with it. And the, the trick is not the trick, but the prerequisite is attention, right? And you can use whatever necessary 
you know, within the bounds of law and ethics to get that attention. And then what you do with it, those are, that's a separate, that's a separate question. And in, in a sense, it's a separate part of the design process for me. So I'm having fun. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. No, and I love that. I love the, uh, the tease there at the end. You know, one thing I feel like I've discovered in life and not only in web three is that aesthetics and value are uncorrelated, but distribution and value appear to be correlated. So to your point about attention, you know, you get that attention and now what will you do with it? Yeah. We shall see. We should do, let's do this again in a year at least. And if we have a chance to do something together sooner, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. Let's, uh, let's break bread and, uh, have some, have some wine in person. Perfect. All right, man. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Take Thanks, care. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.